Hello, and welcome to the Life Center Podcast. We're a church in Tacoma, Washington that exists to inspire our community to love and follow Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at all of our campuses, you can download the Life Center app, interact with us on social media, or visit lifecenter.com. Let's jump into this week's message. Thanks for listening. Today, John chapter 8. And as we prepare to go there, I am convinced that there is nothing that has changed my life more than the words of Jesus. And John chapter 8, listen to what Jesus says. It says in verse 31, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth. Can you say truth? So Jesus here, he's about to set us up with something important that we don't want to miss. When we continue in his word, we come to know truth. And here's what truth leads us to. And the truth will set you free. Man, that's an important piece of theology right there. When we come to know the truth, the truth will actually set us free. Now, when I was little, there were certain things that I believed as if they were true. And when you're young, when you believe something is true, you act as if it is true, even if it isn't. How many of you know what I'm talking about? What's interesting about this dynamic in our lives is you can have all the sincerity in the world about something that is inaccurate, and all of your sincerity doesn't change the fact that you are wrong. You ever been there? When I was growing up, this is perfect for Labor Day weekend, one of the things that I loved to do is I loved to water ski. In fact, we had some family friends that lived on Lake Stillicum here over in Lakewood. And so I learned at a young age how to water ski, how to do this from time to time. It was one of my favorite summertime activities. That was until one specific summer in early junior high. You see, early in that spring, I walked downstairs and there was a movie marathon playing on TBS. And the movie marathon was these movies called Jaws. And there was one Jaws that was playing in particular where I walked downstairs and and I noticed that there was a lady who was water skiing. And, And something interesting happened. As this lady is there enjoying the sun, she's out behind the boat, she's water skiing. Some of you remember exactly what happens because as I'm watching the movie, all of a sudden I hear this. And my eyes are getting big because I'm going, not the water skier. Please, Lord, not the water skier. Take the boater out. I don't care. But not the water skier. And you guys know what happened next, right? Because all of a sudden that, that simple melody started. Boom! No more water skier. And in that day, I determined I will never water ski again. (laughs) So a number of days later, we go over to Lake Stillicum. Everybody goes skiing but me. 
No, number of days go by. Everybody goes skiing but me. Finally, our friends, they, they asked me, Tyler, why are you not water skiing? So I shared. I said, well, what if there's a great white shark in Lake Stillicum? And they looked at me, they were like, Tyler, number one, no. Number two, it's not salt water. And here was my response. But what if? What if this one time a great white shark made its way into Lake Silicon? And there I am behind the boat, and all of a sudden the, the fin and the piano and the noise, and no more Tyler. I'm not willing to risk it. Now, thankfully, even though I missed out, honestly, I missed out on an entire summer of water skiing. Aren't you thankful that as you grow older, you learn to discover truth that sets you free? It's one thing when you're a kid, but I've learned this principle applies to even our faith in Jesus as we follow him. There's, there's certain things that we believe, certain things that we hold on to, and even if it's inaccurate, it affects us as if it is real. I missed out on an entire summer of water skiing. What's the point? The point is this. Knowing the truth and living in the truth brings freedom. It sets us free. This is a game changer for us. You see, as I, as I think about this, listen, here's the question that I want us to consider over the next couple of minutes. In our lives, are there beliefs that we are holding on to that need to be challenged? And ultimately, not just challenged, but, but transformed by the gospel. Now, let, let me be clear because when I say gospel, that, that word might mean a number of things to us today. The gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are the accounts of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And ultimately, we call them gospels because the word gospel simply means this, good news. The Greek word is euangelion. And that dynamic, understand, when, when I refer to the gospel, I'm not talking about a specific book. I'm talking about the central message of the Christian faith, the gospel, the good news. Because here's what I've discovered. There was thoughts that I had as a young child growing up in the church. There was different things that, that got embedded in my theology, and some of them, it, it impacted how I saw God. Some of them, they, they impacted how I would pray or feel like I could go and, and talk with Jesus. But the more and more that I've discovered the truth of the gospel, the more and more that the truth has set me free. And so with that in mind, today, I want to share with you a message that I've entitled, Five Things I Don't Believe Anymore. Now, some of us, when we hear that title, we're going, oh boy, where is Tyler going with this? I know for the millennials in the room or online, no, this is not a message about deconstruction of your faith. This is an opportunity for us to do some introspection, some reflection, to see is there, is there beliefs that I'm hanging on to that the gospel wants to challenge? Why? So that I can come to know truth and the truth will set me free.
So let's be clear. When I say gospel, I'm talking about the good news of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and our trust in that, that changes everything. Five things I don't believe anymore. Number one is this. God's love is transactional. God's love is transactional. In other words, here's what this belief says. My performance for God determines my approval from God. So in other words, as long as I'm doing everything right, then I get two thumbs up from God. But but the moment that I, I mess up, I screw up, all of a sudden I'm not allowed anywhere near him. His love for me is, is transactional. If I will do my part, then he will do his. I think the reason why many of us, we, we live with this thought about God's love is because this is what we experience in so many of our earthly relationships. A transaction. If you do this, then then I'll do this. If you just go to church enough, then I will give you my love. If you could do this, then you are able to receive. And and here's the danger with this mindset. I feel good when I'm doing good. Man, when when I'm consistent, when I'm living right, when everything's going perfect, man, I feel really good. But when I have an off day, anybody else ever had an off day? Anybody else ever had an off month? Anybody here had an off year, off decade? It's almost like, Tyler, I go like off from minute to minute, right? (laughs) Depending on the journey, man, we we can either feel really good or really bad. But the good news about God's love is something radically different than a transaction that's dependent upon what you have or have not done. See, here's the truth from the gospel that set me free. God's love is established. God's love for you, it's it's established. He's not waiting to, to reveal some love once you finally get your act together. God's love for you already exists. It's established. You see, my love for him is simply a response of his love for me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says it this way, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were, what, still sinners, Christ died. This is the greatest declaration of the gospel that reminds us that God's love for us is not transactional. Why? Because I had nothing to give God. I had nothing to offer him. He radically chose to love me while I was still in my worst condition. Friends, if you get a hold of that, that'll change the way you worship. If you get a hold of that, it'll change the way you read scripture. If you get a hold of that truth, It will change the way that you pray. Why? Because God's not waiting for a transaction from you. He's already provided the payment for you to be reconciled. Here's the second thing. Number two, God's number one priority should be my happiness. I don't believe that anymore. And I know most of us, we, we probably wouldn't verbalize it. Like, we would never actually own, like, yeah, I I think that's God's number one priority is me. (laughs) Most of us, we would never say that, but that thought is revealed sometimes in our attitudes, isn't it? it When life doesn't go 
like we wanted it to go. When it doesn't shake out like, like we planned and we go, hey God, hold on, come here. We, we need to have a conversation. We need to have a little talk. See, I, I used to believe that God's number one priority should be my happiness. Here's the danger in that thought. God exists as a means for my will to be done. Versus me understanding who the king over the universe is and I exist to make sure that his will gets done. See the difference? It's subtle, but I think it's important because here's the good news. The gospel, the truth of the gospel can set us free from the dangers attached to this mindset. When my kids were younger, from time to time, they would come in the house crying after playing in the backyard and they would have a sliver in their finger. And so I'd have them sit down, I'd try to calm them down, and I would walk over and I would grab the tweezers to help get the sliver out. But as soon as I would turn and walk towards them with a tweezer, you might as well have had a machete in your hand the way that they would scream when they would see the tweezers coming, out the, coming at them. Have any of you ever experienced this with a small child? It's like, not the tweezers! Now, if I was only concerned with their happiness, I would never make them uncomfortable with the tweezer. See, what would keep them happy in that moment is just let the sliver stay. But the problem is, as a good dad, I know, if I don't get the sliver out, infection can set in and a lot worse things can happen than this momentary uncomfortable situation of getting the sliver out. If I only want God to make me happy, then what do I do when he shows up with those spiritual tweezers to help get that sliver out? We kind of throw, throw a fit, don't we? God, this doesn't feel good. Has anybody else had that prayer in the last 18 months besides me? God, where are you at? It wasn't supposed to be like this. You see, here's the truth of the gospel that, that helps set us free. We, we need to understand a couple of things. One, we need to understand that Jesus, he promised us a peace Filled life, not a peaceful life. There's a difference. When I, when I came at my kids with the tweezer, da, 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 when, I, when I came at them, understand that wasn't a peaceful moment for them. It, they didn't sit back and go, oh, this is nice. But it helped them. And there's going to be storms and challenges and ups and downs in the life that we navigate as humans, as part of the human condition. And we need to understand, even when life isn't peaceful, I can still be peace-filled. Why? Because Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. See, here's the truth that set me free from this idea that, that God's number one priority should be my happiness. The truth is this. God's number one priority is my salvation, my redemption, and my transformation. And by the way, it's in that space that I come to find the good life that I long for. So that really is the place where, where I find that happiness, I find that peace, I find that joy. When I realize my debt has been paid in full, sin, shame, separation, it's been dealt with through the work that Jesus has done for me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, the Apostle Paul, he says this, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. 
the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins, uh, according to the riches of his grace. That's God's priority. Number three, God only pays attention to my spiritual life. I used to believe this. That somehow if, if I really wanted to get God's attention, and I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, you when you were young, or maybe, maybe you did this yesterday, you, you, you kind of messed up and you, you said, okay, God, I'm going to show you how serious I am. And so you sit down and you like read 10 chapters of the Bible in one setting, like, yeah. And like all of a sudden God's like, oh, there you are. You know, like, like he wasn't paying attention to us before we were doing something quote unquote spiritual. And this is important that we understand. He pays attention to every part of our lives, the ups and the downs, the highs, the lows, the exciting, and even the mundane. This matters. You don't just capture God's attention once you pray. You don't just capture his attention once you start raising your hands in worship. He was aware of you before you woke up. He was aware of you before you became aware of him. This matters. Because if I understand, he doesn't just care about the spiritual parts of my life. He actually cares about every part of my life. It changes what I bring him into. Because some of us, we we create about an hour and ten minute window for God to show up in our lives every week. I love you. God has so much more than just an hour and 10 minutes on a weekend, friends. He cares about every part. See, here's the truth that transformed me that the gospel reminds us of. God delights in every part of our lives. He delights in you. He looks at you and he's like, man, amazing. Amazing. Not everything you do is amazing, but who you are in him. You were created in his image. He stands back and he delights in that. David says it well in Psalm 139. Look with me. Psalm 139, David says this, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Imagine that. The God of the universe. David is saying that God pays attention when you've done this and when you do this. Can you imagine God applauding you because you sat down? Now, that's obviously not what he's saying God does in that moment, but God is so aware of you that he notices things that we so quickly glance over. Some of our theology says, well, I only get God's attention once I tune in online or I walk through the doors. No, you have God's attention every day, every moment. David goes on, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Skip down to verse 16. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Friends, I I don't know who in this room, who listening right now, somebody maybe told you you were an accident. Guess what? I got news for you. You were not an accident. You were already in God's plan and God's mind. 
Verse 17, God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Translated, God cares more than just about the spiritual things, quote unquote, that you do. We are the ones who create these false dichotomies or these little compartmentalizations where God is saying, no, you are an individual and I love who you are. Not just the the things that we kind of glance as as spiritual or look at. No, God has more. Here's the fourth thing. See, I used to believe, number four, God's grace has limits. God's grace has limits. And in each gathering that I've said this this weekend, I can literally feel the tension creep into the room. Oh, Tyler. Be careful. Careful with this one. Because if you don't really clarify, people are going to take this and just run and say, because grace has no limits, I can do whatever I want. If that's what you take away, you haven't listened to the gospel. You haven't listened to the gospel. See, this idea, this is what drove the Pharisees crazy about Jesus and why the outcasts, the tax collectors, love to be around Jesus, is that he embodied grace. Let me be clear. I do believe that you can choose to ignore it. I do believe that you could choose to reject it. I believe that you can choose to not interact with the grace that's been made available Yet the question that I want you to consider for a moment right now is, is, have you ever looked at an individual or a situation and say, well, they're too far gone? Let's make it personal for a second. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Have I exhausted my ability to be forgiven? I won't ask for a show of hands, but... My assumption is there's some people today that that you've had that dialogue inside your head and in your heart in the last seven days. Have I exhausted my my ability to be forgiven? Have I exhausted the, the limit of God's grace? Is there still room at the cross for someone like me? And my answer to you is there is room at the foot of the cross for someone even like you. Why? Because there's room at the foot of the cross for someone even like me. God's grace is sufficient. Believe it. It really is good news. You see, the truth that set me free from the gospel is this. There is nothing or no one too far gone that God's grace cannot restore. And this is where our minds begin to wrestle, saying, well, God... Like, I know you could forgive somebody like me, but somebody like them? Even like them. Even like them. See, we need to understand there's nothing that God's grace cannot redeem and restore, but we also need to understand there, there are many things that God will not reward. Catch that. 
Because if, if we hear grace correctly, if we listen to the gospel for what it actually says, it never leads us to this place where we say, hey, I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want, and then next Sunday I'll just pray it off. That would be an error. See, consider the words of, of Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It says, For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ru rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, where, where we, maybe our, our lives, our sin has been great, I want to remind you that his grace is still greater. There's room at the foot of the cross. So for those who have even wrestled with, with guilt or shame, going, man, have I exhausted the limits of forgiveness, I'm here to remind you, no, the gospel says if we will humble ourselves and return to the source of salvation, friends, our sin is forgiven. Our debt is paid. Yes, that's right. There's two errors that we have to avoid in this conversation about grace. Two errors. One is the, the error of legalism. And this is where I, I felt the, the tension all weekend as I've talked about this, because there's some who, the moment I said God's grace doesn't have limits, we, we start creating this box and going, well, Tyler, be, be careful. We got we to control people's behavior. But when you come face to face with the real gospel, the real grace of Jesus, it doesn't lead you to just try to control behavior. You want to give your whole life to Jesus. Oh, yeah. When it's, when, it's, when it's rightly received, friends, it leads to the right responses and right reactions. Oh, yeah, that's right. The opposite error is it's not legalism. It's this thing called license where, woo, because of grace, I get to do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter that God says there's certain standards that he expects of me. It doesn't matter because I'm under grace. I'm under grace. If that's the grace that we've embraced, I would encourage you to sit and let the gospel challenge your beliefs. Because grace empowers us to live righteous. It empowers us to live transformed lives. It empowers us to live holy. Here's the fifth thing that I no longer believe. See, I used to believe this, that the gospel is, is only for outsiders. It's for, it's for outsiders. Now, for those who are maybe new to church, outsiders is a little bit of like some kind of Christian language here that I'm using. What does that mean? Just, just people who are not yet really, really in the church. People who don't get it yet. The gospel's for people like that. As a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. I, I remember saying stupid things. <laughs> Anybody else ever been guilty of that? What I've learned as I grow older I, at times, still say stupid things, but hopefully I'm growing less and less. But I remember different times as a youth pastor having events, and one in particular where we, we were going to have a bunch of students there who don't yet know Jesus. And I, these words came out of my mouth. said, you know what, there's going to be a lot of kids here who don't know Jesus. We should probably preach a gospel message. 
as if there's any other message we should be preaching. Listen, if, if it's not about the gospel, if it's not about the finished work of Jesus, what are we actually preaching? We're preaching moralism, try harder, do more, or we're, we're preaching some form of therapeutic deism where you can just feel good about who you are in this ambiguous God somewhere out there. The gospel is our only message. And yet at the same time, I remember things like this coming out of my mouth. Well, well we should move on to the deeper. Again, I know there's probably a couple of us in the room who have said that. Let's get to the deeper thing. Friends, there is nothing deeper than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the implications of that. Friends, we will never plumb the depths of all that that means for our lives. I think I I believe this and this, this belief became embedded in my theology somewhere along the line because I remember sitting in church services when I was little and, and somebody would be preaching and they'd say something like this. If you were to leave this place tonight and be hit by a Mack truck, where would you spend eternity? So let's contextualize it. If you're to be water skiing on Lake Silicon this afternoon and you get eaten by a shark, where will you spend eternity? You see... Why that formed something in my theology is I realized, oh, I say this prayer so that someday I can go up there. That salvation was about this distant reality in heaven. And even though part of that is accurate, it's not the full picture. Why? I don't just need the gospel to someday get into heaven. I need the gospel every day. Why? Because I have to face Wednesday. I have to face Friday. We need the gospel. We need the good news. We got to learn to preach it to ourselves. Here's the truth that set me free. The gospel doesn't just get us in. It keeps us in and it grows us up. That's why we got to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. See, the problem is I used to see it like training wheels for Christianity. Oh, just the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the simple good news. But I love what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says this, the gospel isn't the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. It is the message. It is our hope. Daily, I need to preach the gospel to myself. Colossians chapter two, verse six. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue. Can you say continue? Continue. Oh, this is so important. Continue in him. What that means is I I don't look at the gospel as training wheels that help me get to a place where I could pedal the bike by myself. How somehow we can just jettison our lives and okay, thanks God, I got it from here and we start pedaling by ourselves. No, no, no. The gospel, it gets us in, but it keeps us in and it continues to mature us and grow us up, we cannot lose sight of the centrality, the significance of this message. So I ask this question once again that we started with. Are there beliefs that we are holding on to that need to be challenged? They need need to be confronted. Maybe some of the things that, that I said today 
they, they were realities in your life. My prayer is that truth will set us free, but, but maybe there's other beliefs that, that they need to be challenged, they need to be confronted in your lives. Why? So that you can experience transformation. That's only available through the gospel. Today, I wanna to invite you to grab your smartphones if you have them here in the room. For those who are watching online, the team's gonna put a link up. I wanna talk about a couple of next steps. We do this every single weekend at Life Center. I love on Mondays reading through the lists of people who took next steps. And today I wanna to give two for us to consider. Number one is this, maybe today is your day to say yes to Jesus. What do we mean by that? Today is your day to simply receive the gospel, the good news, that Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Every area of shame, sin, separation, it's been dealt with in the work that he's done for you. If that's you, check that first box. The second next step is this, and this is gonna require a little bit of work this week. It's gonna require a little bit of reflection. But the second next step is this, maybe there's some beliefs that you're still hanging on to and they, they need to be challenged. What does that mean? Well, you're gonna check the box that says, okay, I need some gospel transformation. I need the gospel to change some, some beliefs that I'm hanging on to because I, I wanna experience that freedom and I know the truth will set me free. What's your next step? Would you take a moment and pray with me right now? Jesus, we thank you for the gospel, the good news that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Lord, I pray that for many of us, we, we've added beliefs, to our journey with you. And some of them, they, they just happened over time. Others, they, they were received not through scripture, but just opinions of others. And God, there's some of us, we need to allow those beliefs to be challenged because we want to walk in truth. We know that on the other side of truth, there's freedom. You want us to experience freedom. You don't want us to be held captive. And so, God, would you set us free? through the truth of the gospel. Today, maybe it's your desire to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, can I invite you to say this prayer with us? Would you say these words? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen, amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision? I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet all across this room. Those who are at home, would you stand up as well? In a moment, we're gonna be sent from this place because even though the gathering is about to be over, church is not over. We don't just go to church, we, we are the church. So let's go, let's be the church, let's live on mission with Jesus this week. God bless, we'll see you soon.